Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. This morning, um, you know, there's nothing like being in God's presence, amen? Nothing like it. And it's, you know, we've been talking about unity for 13 weeks, right? We've been in the book of Ephesians and kind of looking at it through the eyes of unity, pulling out the unity message that's in there all throughout the book. And I've never done that before uh, as far as looking at, at Ephesians that way, but it's just been mind-blowing for me as I've been studying. Um, but even this morning, as you entered into his presence, as you prayed for one another, I, I mean, I just couldn't help but think, is there anything better than, than just having your church family come around you when you're in the presence of God because you've worshiped, because you've invited him in, and just pray for one another? You talk about unity. I mean, you, Bev Calloway used to say, you can't pray through clenched teeth. And I like that. You can't pray for someone when you're mad, you know? And so praying for someone and praying for one another just melts that away. Malachi, I prayed for you. I'm not mad at you. I didn't, I didn't pray for you because I'm mad at you. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but just that unity that's produced when, uh, when we pray for one another, when we worship together, it's awesome. And so just, just a little quick, quick, quick review. We've, we've been in the, in the book of Ephesians, like I said, um, and we spent uh, a while in, uh, you know, the, the first couple of chapters, which really dealt with uni- the beginning of unity, which is really uni- your personal unity with Christ himself. Are you plugged into the vine? Are you pulling your life from him? Are you unified him? Is your life line up with, with his purposes and his plans and his his uh, word, his nature, his character. We talked about all those things. And all unity in all your relationships starts, it starts with your unity with Christ. You gotta be unified with him if you expect to be unified with others within the church. Are you awake this morning? You gotta be unified with him. I mean, you do. You do. Well, you know, I, I just come to church. I mean, how many know that it's easy to get in the rut of just going to church week after week after week after week, and it just becomes your thing. This isn't your thing. We come together as a family, unified, to get a job done that God's called us to do. And it takes that kind of unity to get there. So, again, all of our unity and all of our relationships, and uh, it starts with our personal unity with Christ. And then as we move through chapter 3, we got into, and got into chapter 4, Paul starts to shift a little bit his focus, and he starts a, uh, moving from personal uni- unity with Christ to unity within the body of Christ, so unity with one another. And again, 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 I can't say this enough, it begins with your oneness that you have with Jesus. That's where it all starts. That's the simplest definition of unity, oneness. It's just oneness. And that's what Jesus prayed in one of his last prayers on earth. Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. And we have yet to really see the fullness of that. I believe we will see the fullness of that at some point. But oneness. And last week, we got into four, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and the ministry leadership gifts that God, or that Jesus specifically, has given to his church. And I, I really just read over verse 11 but then landed on verse 12, and we didn't get much past that, which gives us the responsibility of those that have these ministry leadership gifts. So I'm gonna just read them real quick, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Now these are the gifts 
Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And then, uh, so I, I went through a couple of these real quick and we talked, we really landed on verse 12, the purpose um, to equip and build up. And I can't emphasize this enough. The job of those in leadership of the church is to equip and build up the body so that the body can do the work of building his kingdom until he returns. In America, it's easy to hire a pastor and hire some people to get the work done, throw some money at it and go, woo, I did my thing, I did my job. But my job is not to do the job for you. My job is to teach you to do the job and you do the job. And there's a reason for that because one guy can't do everything. One staff can't reach everybody. They just can't. One group of, small group of people can't, can't do everything. And so we have this body, this local church, and as we equip, the leadership of this church equips you, and you go out and do the work, you're going to be around people that I could never be around. Not because I don't want to be, but just because I'm never there. I'm not at your workplace. I'm not in your family situations. I don't live next door to your neighbors. You do. And so if we equip and you do the work of carrying the gospel everywhere, work, school, neighborhoods, the job gets done. There's a great example of that sitting in the room today, and I, I, and I just love this. A, a lot of people doing a lot of things to make this happen and everybody being a part um, not so much in, in equipping, but uh, when I first came here 21 years ago, there was a, a, a pastor who, I, I don't even know where you were at then, Matt, were you, at, were you at Glad Tidings then? Glad Tidings, which isn't very far from here, Assembly of God, you might know Brother Airwood, some of you, was a pastor then, I think he was the pastor, no, that was before you, wasn't it? That was before you. So he was there, but, but Matt Loomis, who is here today, he was one of the first pastors in the district besides the ones that were, were Pastor Callaway in this church, that said hello to me and welcomed me into the district. And it was just, it was kind of nice. And he's here today, and I love that. But he, unbeknownst to me at the time, was also a cop. How many cops in here today? Come on, don't be ashamed. We love cops in this place. Lots of cops in here. Yeah. He was a cop, and he's praying for another cop. He was praying for a, a guy also named Matt, named Matt Koch, who he knew. And he was praying, he was praying, he was praying, he was praying. And so he's doing all this prayer work, right? Because he, he loves you. I think he still does. I, I, pretty sure he does. And then a few years later, Matt is building a house next to where we're building, and we kind of become friends. And over time, he ends up coming to church here and getting saved. But everybody doing a little part. I don't think I could have done anything as far as leading Matt to the Lord or leading him to church if Matt wouldn't have prayed first. You know, there, there, was, there was a work being done. And I'm, I'm just pointing this out because it's the body of Christ all doing its part. And again, my part is to equip you so that you can do your part. And then when you do your part and somebody else does their part and somebody else does their part, guess what happens? The kingdom of God gets built and people like Matt Koch, who are essential in the kingdom of God, aren't sitting in some house in the middle of Indianola having some marital problems. Can I say that out loud? Yeah, you don't care. And having issues and fighting to just even want to 
be alive. They get saved. And there's a whole turnaround. Everybody doing their part. It is so essential, church, that we get out of this mindset that we just come to church and the job is done when we put the money in the offering. We've got a work to do, a job to do, and you are either a mission field or you are a missionary. Did you hear me? Like six of you said amen. I mean, that means six of you are missionaries and the rest of y'all mission fields that need to be one to Jesus, right? No, I'm not really saying that, or am I? I don't know. We're mission fields or missionaries. We either, I mean, we, we have got to do our part, every single one of us. There's no doubt. And so again, those five ministry, the five-fold ministry leadership gifts, they are, their responsibility is to equip the people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So we got into that last week, and I, I'm getting into it this week because I'm passionate about that. But this morning, I want to go back to verse 11 and talk about each one of these gifts and bring some clarity of how, how they function in the church. And we need to remember that these gifts are given to those that God calls to be leaders in the body of Christ. These are ministry leadership gifts. They overlap. People may have one or more of them. They are ministry gifts given by Christ to his church. And they're hard to like put in a box and say, this is what it is, but I, I'm going to try to... I'm not going to put them in a box, but I'm going to try to explain what they are in a way that's understandable because there is some confusion that goes around these. And it's easy to get confused, especially when one of them listed as pastor, and we think of pastor as a position in a church. So aren't all these other ones positions in church? Not necessarily. But again, in this context, it's not a position. They're not positions. They're gifts given to the church, not specifically church positions. And when we read the rest of the section, which, which tells us how long Christ will continue to give these ministry leadership gifts to the church, um, it's, it's just mind-blowing, and it brings it into that subject of unity. Again, I'm going to do that real quick. Four verses here, Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. How long will Jesus give these gifts to the church? And they are, again, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. He will continue to give these gifts to the church until we all come to such unity. Everybody say, such unity. It'll con he'll continue to pour out these gifts on his church until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Woo! I mean, can you imagine a whole church full of mature people? Pastor Jared, what would that look like? that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I think that means we're out of a job. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around uh, by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Everybody doing their part and growing up in Jesus. That's why he gave us the five-fold ministry leadership gifts. 
to equip and to build up, and he's going to continue to pour them out until this thing's happened. And I'm telling you what, I think that, that, that's going to happen until Jesus comes back. So let's put some definitions to these ministry leadership gifts. Um, and I, I think I need to say this before we get into it. These aren't personality types. These giftings do not necessarily run parable or parallel with, with specific personality types or Enneagram numbers, as fun as those are. They are God-given as God sees fit. But, more than likely, there are some patterns that would emerge if someone was to do a huge case study. That certain personalities seem to have these gifts. And it makes you wonder as you're studying this, does, you know, we, we talk about our personalities all the time here, right? We, it's kind of a popular subject, it's fun to look into that. But, but I wonder if God gave us gifts and the personalities are secondary to those gifts, or if God gave us personalities and the gifts are secondary to the personalities. Interesting thinking. I, I tend to think he gifts us first. And the personalities are just part of that giftedness, especially when they're given over to the Holy Spirit. No test can tell you who you are. If we are gods, then we need to give him complete access to whoever we need to be in the situation. And I, I would say that I, I don't believe that these, again, are necessarily parallel with your personality because I think this, if, if Jesus Christ is bought and paid for you, how many have been bought and paid for? He can do anything with you he wants to do. You know what I'm saying? So he, he can trump anything whenever he wants. He can trump Trump. Right? That just starts a whole other conversation we're not going to have from the pulpit. But we are uniquely made and designed for specific purpose, but we are still his. So let's start with the first one, apostles. This gifting is usually marked by a strong pioneer-type spirit. The word apostle in the original Greek means to send, as in sending someone on a special mission as a messenger and personal representative of the sender. Being sent, however, and this is important, doesn't automatically mean you have this gift. I'll give you an example of that. We send missionaries, but all missionaries aren't necessarily apostles. We wouldn't say apostle so-and-so. We call them missionaries because missionaries could have a, a whole bunch of different gifts, right? Again, not positions, giftings. A missionary could be apostolic in their giftings, right? Especially when they're going into a culture that has never heard about Jesus Christ before. We, we just... Talked about one this morning that's coming Wednesday night. We referred in the Assemblies of God, we refer to those kinds of missionaries as live dead missionaries. They're live dead. Because they don't know if they're coming home necessarily. They go to a place where it's illegal to share the gospel. And they go there anyway. And they raise their families in the midst of that. And if you don't think that's important enough to come listen to, you're crazy, man. That would be probably someone who has some, at least some, apostolic giftings, right? Because who would do that unless you were strong enough to do that? That pioneer type, that we're going to start something. Those with apostolic giftings have the ability to bring the church into order. I mentioned last week that our former pastor, Pastor Calloway, which it's been like, it's going on 12, it is 12 years, 12 years since he's been our pastor. And some of, some of his stuff, it, it, he was only pastor for eight years, but some of his fingerprints are still on this church. He set some things in order that are still in order today. He was very apostolic in his giftings. 
We didn't call him Apostle Albert. He was a pastor. He might have liked being called Apostle Albert, for those of you that know him. I don't know. But he definitely had those apostolic giftings. And you, you can, and I said this last week, I think it's interesting. Everywhere he went in his career of ministry, he generally averaged probably three years at a place. That's not very long. But every single place he went to, the church grew while he was there, and then it grew when he left. That's pretty amazing. That's apostolic giftings, setting the church in order. And again, they're typically strong and can lead leaders. He told me once about a time that he was, um, I don't know what church it was in Springfield. I think it might have been, is there a church called Parkcrest in Springfield? I think he had, um, I think he had, he said 250 some ordained ministers in his congregation. And that would, back when I heard that, that freaked me out. I was like, I could never do that. You know, everybody analyzing everything you said. You know, I was a youth pastor. Youth didn't check what you said. You could say anything you want, right? <laughs> Not really. But that would be intimidating. Didn't intimidate him at all. I mean, he had theologians in his congregation that taught at Bible schools in Springfield. Like, what if you said the wrong thing and the theologian came to you afterward and said, you're preaching heresy? Maybe that's a good thing. But he had the ability to say, look, I'm called to be the pastor, not you. That's tough. That's a strong apostolic gifting. And with all that being said, there are really two distinctions that we have to make in reference to apostolic leaders. I mentioned we don't call them apostles per se today, but they are, there are people in the church, leaders in the church that still have apostolic giftings. And this is where some of the confusion comes in. But I love what the Fire Bible does, and I'm going to use some of their study notes this morning. I, I don't want to take credit for it. The Fire Bible is amazing in their study notes to give you some of this stuff. But I'm going to take some of those and mix in some other stuff. But, but this, is, this is really how it breaks it down. Apostles in the unique sense. And I love how they did this. These would include the original 12, 12 apostles, excluding Judas, of course. He was replaced by Matthias, and it, would have, and it would also include Paul and even those who had been commissioned by Jesus personally. The 12 spent time with Jesus, like real, physical, in the physical sense, spent time with Jesus, right? Paul experienced Jesus and even spent years in the desert being instructed by Jesus in a profound way after his conversion. You can see that in Acts 14.4 and in Acts 14.14, it refers to Barnabas as an apostle. And in Galatians 1.19, James, the brother of Jesus, is referred to by Paul as an apostle. And remember, these were all first century Christians who had spent time with Jesus while he was on this earth. They were unique because of this. They were commissioned and sent on special missions to bring the message of Christ, the gospel, into places that had never been uh, they'd, never, they'd never heard it before. And because they had been with Jesus, they had a unique authority that their successors with the same gift, apostolic giftings, could never claim. Sure, anyone can spend time with Jesus in the spiritual sense, but they not only did this, they had spent time with him physically. They were eyewitnesses to his ministry. What a privilege and an honor it would have been to see with your own eyes the works of Christ, and to hear him speak, and to watch the faces of the people in the crowd turn to him as he spoke with such compassion, 
He, I, I imagine that Jesus, when he spoke, could look through people and them feel loved and, and naked at the same time. And they witnessed it. They seen it. These are special guys. That's being an apostle in a unique sense. And that's maybe where some of the danger comes in. Because if I say apostle so-and-so or apostle so-and-so, oh yeah, they're, an, they, they're apostolic gifting, so let's call them an apostle. You're kind of putting them in the same category that you can't put them into. They didn't have the eyewitness thing of hearing Jesus speak or doing what he did. And that's not the only reason they're unique. Another thing that made them at least some of them, most of them, that were originally gifted leaders with apostolic giftings is the fact that God used them to write scripture. In this unique sense, the role of those gifted with apostolic giftings can, can no longer apply that, that role, that position. There's nobody writing scripture today. And if they are, they're not right. Amen? Nobody can add to the scriptures. They are what they are. They're done. And so these guys were special. They can have no direct successors because no one can be an eyewitness to the earthly ministry of Jesus and no one can add scriptures to the Bible. They were unique. Apostles in the unique sense. And, and that's, uh, again, I, I just can't, I can't say this enough. Some people want to say, well, let's put them in the office of an apostle. The reason we don't is because it's dangerous. People get confused and like, so they could write scripture? Well, if you can write scripture, why can't you set forth what's right and wrong? Why can't you become the moral, uh, the giver of truth, the source of truth yourself? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Who could question an apostle in that sense? Well, we don't, does anybody question Paul's writings? They're authoritative. How could we do that in today's Well, this person has as much faith as Paul. They're as apostolic as the apostle Paul, so we'll give them the apostle so-and-so. That would be weird, because we're giving them an authority that they could never have. So apostles in a general sense, because this term in the New Testament was given in a, in a general sense to commissioned representatives of the church. And this could apply to modern-day missionaries, could apply to them when they go into a culture that's never heard the gospel, or it could even apply to church planters in America who started work from the ground up. They were, and are, gen and, and are generally speaking, Holy Spirit-filled people devoted to strong faith and prayer. And God often confirms their message with miraculous signs and wonders. They are often willing to risk their lives for the cause of Christ and the advancement of, of, of his message. These are strong people that'll go places that nobody else will go to. And they'll stand strong and they'll plant a church, they'll preach the gospel, they'll begin a ministry. And these leaders who are gifted with apostolic gifts, are, they're, they're absolutely essential to the building of God's kingdom here and now, which is the purpose of the church, right? The church needs these spirit-filled pioneer leaders to continue to spread the gospel until every corner of the earth has heard the good news. And to avoid confusion and keep the distinction between first century and modern day apostolic leaders, it's probably better in this day and time to refer to these pioneering men and women of God as those who have apostolic gifts rather than calling them apostles or thinking of them as holding the office of an apostle as Paul or 
or Peter did. So we say, man, that, that missionary, man, they got some apostolic giftings. To me, that makes sense. How about you? You understand what I'm talking about today? Is this making sense? I don't, have you ever heard teaching on this before? Everybody's just sitting there looking at me like, I need another graduation ham sandwich. And let's just be honest, this morning, pastors can sometimes feel threatened by those with pioneering-type spirits. They love the people so much that they want to protect them. I, I've seen this happen firsthand. Uh, you, you get somebody that comes into your church, and they're a, they're, they're, they really have strong apostolic giftings. They're a person in the seat, and, and, you know, but then they have very strong opinions of what you're preaching on, why you're preaching about it, why you're not doing this ministry, why you're not doing that ministry. And I'm, I'm telling you, it happens in churches all over, and that pioneering spirit starts to intimidate the pastor who's called to love the people. And then, the, then he gets questioned. I don't want to run those apostolic leaders out. I want to harness what they have. Because how many know it's very frustrating to have a gift and not use it? So if someone comes to me and says, yeah, you ought to be preaching on this or you ought to start this, and I'll say, well, why don't you let God tell me that, but let's you get busy, let's get you busy doing what God's called you to do, and you probably need to start something before you start something. <laughs> Understand what happens? I think church splits happen because there's people who are gifted in an area and they come across and they want to put all the responsibility on the, of their gift on the church leadership that's there when God's calling them to step up to church leadership themselves and do what they're supposed to do. Oh, I think the pastor ought to be more apostolic. Well, you're apostolic. Why do you think you're in the church? These gifts are important. Maybe you ought to step into leadership a little more. Does that make sense? We have problems sometimes in these churches because of personalities, because of giftings, I believe, that are strong. And I've seen pastors, it, it goes two ways. I've seen pastors be intimidated and they've run them out of the church. And then they're left with no apostolic giftings and that's not good. You become the us four and no more club real quick. The hold the huddle, hold the fort, the holy huddle, right? Just us. We're not going to do anything. We're going to hold hands and sing kumbaya until we go to heaven. Forget about the job we're called to do. We need apostolic leaders. We want them, right? It's important. But I also know that apostolic leaders can be a big, fat pain in the rear end if they're not launched to what they should be doing. And, and I'm just going to say this for... Just for any, any of you that might be apostolic in your giftings and you, you need to be stepping up in that area. And something that you may really need to consider as an apostolic leader that keeps you from all God wants you to do. And whether that's full-time ministry or not, we, we talked about that last week. It doesn't, stepping into leadership doesn't mean all of a sudden a full-time job either, does it? But something you may want to do as an apostolic as a person with an apostolic gift, is start working on your submission. If there's one thing that stops apostolic gifts being used in the church the way they need to be, it's when the, the person having those gifts refuses to submit to any spiritual authority. 
I actually told somebody once when I was in South Dakota, um, you have apostolic gifts coming out your ears. You're dripping with them. I see them. I, I, I get it. You're an entrepreneurial type leader. You, you, you want to start things. You're a, you're a beginner. You're, 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 you got it, right? The problem is you don't submit to anybody. And you need to start submitting. He goes, well, if I, if I ever meet a spiritual leader that I can submit to, then I will. That I can submit to. That I respect enough. See, I, and I'm not saying that I didn't take offense to that. I, I felt sorry for him because the, the deal is he can't, that person had a hard time submitting to anybody because he's apostolic. He knows what's best. He's right. Nothing will shut down that gift. And then can you imagine, okay, so you're an apostolic, you're a person with apostolic leadership ministry gifts in the church. You want to see him used. You won't submit to anybody, so the leadership of the church shuts you down or runs you out, but they shut you down, and then you sit there frustrated. And guess what happens to the body of Christ? Disunity. All gets back to unity. But what if we champion someone like that? And it's a lot easier to champion somebody like that when they submit, right? When they come underneath the authority of the spiritual leadership. I'm not up here swinging my authority band either, going, hey, look at me, I'm a, you will submit to me. I'm not doing that, all right? But this stuff in the word of God is, I mean, if, if there's leadership, you have to submit to it, right? That's what it's there for. If you don't believe me, go up to your boss and say, I don't want to submit to you anymore. I'm going to do what I want at work. Go out here, and this, cops, close your ears, but go outside and just drive any way you want, any speed you want, obey whatever traffic signal you want. You're, you're, you're submitting to authority, at least in some level, in every part of society. But you shut your gifts down if you don't do it in the church, especially if you're apostolic in your giftings. All right. Apostles. There's definitely a unique sense, that office, the first century people, and then there's the apostolic in general, which people with those giftings. And they may or not be full-time people. I think you could be a pastor with apostolic giftings. I think you could be an evangelist with apostolic giftings. I think you could be a church planner with apostolic giftings a missionary with apostolic giftings, a person in the church, a board member. Man, I want a board member with apostolic giftings, right? Because they just, they're dripping with vision and energy and enthusiasm. Let's go win the world for Jesus, you know? I got a little bit of that in me, 20%, right? Move on to the next one, prophets. I'm not going to get through all five today. Don't worry. I'm just going to hit on prophets. That's the last one I'm going to do. But generally speaking, these are spiritual leaders who are uniquely gifted in receiving and communicating direct revelation from God by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Many times these messages revolve around the themes of purity and, and, and they're, giving as, they're given as a warning to the church. Old Testament prophets called the people and even the whole nation sometimes back to God in reference to the Old Covenant. While those in the prophetic giftings on this side of the cross call people back to God in reference to the new covenant. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The tone is definitely different. I once heard, and I think Pastor Jared was at this service, I once heard at a camp service many, many years ago, he was a camper at the time, but I once heard somebody get up and say, the Lord, I mean, they were being used in a prophetic gift and it was a beautiful thing and they were speaking and it was about, I love you as much much like the, the spirit that was in here this morning as we were singing like, oil upon the sea, wine for Jesus. Just that 
We're lavishing our love on God, and he's lavishing it back on us, and wow, it's just, it was such a beautiful thing. This, this lady gave this, this message, this prophetic word, and it was like, I love you so much, my child, and it was just on and on and on about, it was just God giving you a love letter. And then this guy stood up, and you remember this, and I'm also the God of wrath! I think he was born on the wrong side of the cross. Because that's more old covenant, right? I'm not exaggerating, am I? We were like, <laughs> and I get it. There was a warning there. There's supposed to be a warning, but somebody should have took that guy and said, you know what? You, all that good stuff your wife just did, you just blew in a moment. I don't know why I told that story, but I think it's funny. So again, let's look at this gift to the church as just that, a gifting, not a position. And it's easy to get mixed up when you think of the prophets in the Old Testament, because these were men that were in position. They were the prophet of God, called by God to be the prophet, the, the voice of box, or the, the mouthpiece of God for the nation. Talking Old Testament. And the men that are deemed major or minor prophets in the Old Testament are the four major prophets, and you, you can write these down or take a picture of the screen, I think they're up there, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. There's your major prophets. And the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. There's your 12 minor prophets. These are distinct prophets who held what we would consider the office of a prophet. They were truly, again, the mouthpiece of God in the sense that they were called and anointed by God to speak on God's behalf to entire nations. And you probably already noticed their messages were so profound that they each authored a book of the Bible, which was later named after them. Jeremiah is also to, is considered to have written the book of Lamentations, so he wrote two. He's referred to as the weeping prophet. Had such a heart for God that he would weep for the people. And this sets them apart from any others that would be used in the prophetic gifts. Giving the title of prophet to someone can be confusing in today's modern world. And, and people do it. There's prophet so-and-so will be in town, and he's going to give you a, a conference. we got a prophetic conference here. And a, I'm not necessarily against all that. I'm not saying that. But I, I just get red flags come up when someone calls themselves a prophet. It, again, like apostle, it, it, it puts them in with the first century apostles. And when you call somebody a prophet, or when someone calls themselves a prophet, it almost can be confusing because it puts them in that realm of those, those Old Testament prophets who wrote books of the Bible, and you may be using prophetic gifts, but I don't see you writing the book, any books of the Bible today. And, and, and if you did, then we'd throw you out, right? Because you can't add anything to Scripture. Although a person may be gifted in the prophetic, as an office or a, an official position, it would be difficult to bring accountability to them. How do you bring accountability to someone who says, I am the voice piece of God, I'm gonna speak on God's behalf to you, and you need to listen. In the Old Testament, if they were wrong, they got stoned. 
And I'm not talking about smoking doobies. They got rocks thrown at them until they were dead as false prophets. Now that's accountability, right? How many want that kind of accountability today? You do, yeah, amen, I would. If someone's gonna call themselves a prophet, they better be right. That doesn't mean though that people can't be used in the prophetic gifts and sometimes be wrong because it's a whole different spirit. And again, we're on this side of the cross, it's different. We're, this is legalism and law, this is love and grace. The prophetic gift looks a little different when it comes underneath love and grace. We give grace and their words are gonna be a little more gracious, right? You see that? I mean, if someone's called a prophet, what does that mean? Can we even question what they're saying? I mean, if someone said, I'm the voice piece of God, come to me and I will give you answers, there'd be a line out the door of people like, I need to know what I'm supposed to do next, just tell me. Especially in this country, because we're such a, a microwave kind of Jesus people. We want everything quick, and now we don't want to do any work for it. Forget laying on your face and hearing from God yourself. Just go to the prophet. He'll tell you what to do. How's that any different than going to a fortune teller? It's not. I've heard some crazy things over the years. Again, I, I'm not necessarily against someone who's used in the prophetic. Not at all. I want that gift here. We need that gift as a church. It just doesn't necessarily have to be an office for that to take place or a position. Those who claim the title of prophet tend to lose my attention. I want you to hear me here. People don't call me pastor because of my pastoral giftings. I told you that that's my lowest on the, out of the five when I test. And they don't call me pastor because I demand it. I don't need the title to do what I do, and when people refer to me as pastor, I just take it that they're honoring and respecting me in, in, in what I do. But that's personal with them, and I don't take offense if someone doesn't call me pastor. There's people in this church that would never not call me pastor just because, and there's people that, in this church that have never called me pastor. It doesn't bother me. It's not an offensive thing to me. Well, it must be you're bringing it up. No, I, I'm, I'm really not offended by that. That's, that's you. That, that's on you. That's not on me. I don't, need to, I don't need you to call me pastor for me to feel secure in my calling. Most likely, though, the title pastor is in reference to the job. Most people call me pastor probably because of my job that I have in ministry and not exclusively about my specific ministry leadership gifts. So a prophet who is a true prophet would never have to tell people that they were a prophet Self-proclaimed prophets, again, give me red flags. And by the way, there's been plenty of them. There's been a lot of them that came out of the woodwork, politically speaking, with political messages in regards to elections lately. And you know, some of them were so absolutely dead wrong, and I haven't seen a lot of apologies or a lot of pulling it back. They just kind of disappeared. There were all these people that said, this will happen. Thus saith the Lord. By the way, if you're using the prophetic gifts, you don't have to put thus saith the Lord at the end of everything you say 
because that's almost as, as if you're saying, well, you can't even, you, you, can't, you can't scrutinize this because thus saith the Lord. Right? I mean, if we're in this place of love and grace and you have a prophetic word and sometimes people are used in the gifts of prophecy where they come forward and we have a mic here and, and, and they get a word from the Lord and they speak that word and it's wonderful and it's beautiful, um, you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord at the end. You can get up, and this is where we make it spooky, right? Like this gift of prophecy. We make it like, well, it's God coming over me and taking control of my tongue and flapping my tongue and making me say things that, you know, he, he like invades my body and makes this happen. It's not like that at all. You get this overwhelming thing in your heart, this message, and you hear it clearly. And, you, and then you go, is it for me, God, or is it for the whole church? And if it keeps, keeps nagging at you that it's for the whole church, then you come forward and just say, you know, I feel like God is, is saying something to me. I think it's for the whole church, but I'm going to put it out there. And if it's for you, praise the Lord. If not, you know, I'll just go back and sit down. That's a beautiful thing, by the way. It takes the spooky out of it. It takes the, I'm more authoritative than everyone in this room because I am a prophet of God. Can I preach like that all the time? That'd be fun. <laughs> I get one of those staircases up to the pulpit and look down on everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you taller stand, yeah. <laughs> but when you take that, that, that spookiness out of it and it just becomes a loving thing, a loving part, prompted by the Holy Spirit, I'm not just saying good ideas that people have or some good counseling, you know, I read a good book and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna relay some of the good information I got in the book as a prophecy on Sunday morning. I, I'm not saying God can't use books, but, but, but hear me, it's a Holy Spirit-given message to your heart and you know it and it's almost like it burns in you so much that you can't not say it. That's when you come forward and you go, you don't say, well, God says this and no man can scrutinize what I'm about to say. You, you throw it out there in a gentle, loving way and let people receive it and watch what God does. It's done in order. It's done with love. It's done in humility, saying, it could have been bad pizza last night, but I feel like I'm hearing from God, you know? It could be indigestion, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you know what churches that aren't Pentecostal do? And I'm not picking on non-Pentecostal churches. They don't know what to do with these gifts sometimes, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about ministry leadership gifts, which is different, but when we talk about the nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit, it's interesting. They take all that and they go, I don't, we don't, we don't know what we're going to do with all this. This seems like a lot of, this opens the door to a lot of weird stuff. Let, let's just throw the whole thing out. I'm not going to deny that it doesn't bring some cereal to the church. And by that, I mean the nuts, fruits, and flakes. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. There's nuts, fruits, and flakes everywhere you go, especially in these days, Right? But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because we don't want to deal with the other. We welcome the gifts of the Spirit here. But they are going to be, doing, they are going to be done in order. And you know what? I have to answer to God for what I allow spoken in the church. What would be so bad if someone spoke something and I said, yeah, that really wasn't God? I wouldn't say it that, that bluntly. But what if I said, yeah, that might have been for you today, um, but we're not going to receive that as a word from the Lord. 
Well, how dare you? I'm going down the road. Well, down the road's the Baptist church, and they don't allow any of it, so, you know, be my guest. You understand? This is just kind of a, I feel like I'm in a living, a big living room talking to my family today, but prophets call people back to God, and they warn of what will happen if they don't. They're, they're gentle on this side of the cross, gentler, not always um, it's not always uh, roses and butterflies and rainbows or anything like that. It's, it's just they're calling people back to God. We've got to recognize our gifting in the church and be open to the ministry they provide, yet be cautious not to take every word spoken in prophetic gifts displayed as equal to the Bible, because it's just not. True prophecy will never disagree with Scripture, ever. Did you hear me? True pro- prophecy, prophetic word that's spoken in a church service, will never disagree with Scripture. It will only point you toward the Word of God and confirm it. True prophecy doesn't have to end with the phrase, and I said, thus saith the Lord. I'm just summing this all up. Those that are used in authentic prophetic giftings will always welcome Holy Spirit-led scrutiny of the words they speak. And generally, those used in this gift have, uh, um, tend to have and, and, and again, this comes right out of the fire Bible, so I'm, I don't want to take credit for any of this, but I thought this was so good and I wanted to share it. A, a distinct passion for church purity. People who are using this gift just are passionate for purity, moral purity. B, a deep sensitivity to evil and the ability to identify anything that defies God. C, an alertness to the danger of false teachings. D, a strong dependence on God's word to confirm his or her message. Interesting, they don't depend on their ability to hear from God and speak words for God. They depend on the written word of God, even though the other happens. And E, a concern for the spiritual success of God's kingdom and purposes. And, you know, I, I know there's people like this in this church. I do not want to shut you down. I want to open the doors wide open. But, but my advice to you, if you feel like you have this ministry leadership gift, is to read the word like you've never read the word before. It just makes sense. If you're going to communicate messages via the Holy Spirit of God to the, to the body of Christ, why wouldn't you want to absolutely know his word through and through? His written word. I love the phrase that Jesus spoke, many are called and few are chosen. There are few chosen, even though they may be called, possibly because they won't engage in what they need to engage in to position them or posture themselves to be used. And the, with the apostle, I talked about submission. Apostles need to submit to, be, to posture themselves to be used of God in that ministry. Prophets need to be in the word of God, big time. And there's other things they both need to do, but I'm just, these are predominantly things I've seen that they wouldn't do. And so I'm just sharing those with you. Getting in the word of God, getting in the word of God, not depending on just, well, I hear the voice of God, so I don't need to read the word of God. Eh, Wrong answer. God gives gifts and they are supernaturally given, but if you refuse to do the work, your effectiveness in that gift will be minimalized just won't happen. You won't reach the fruition of all that God wants you to be used in in those ways. 
If you have the leadership gift of prophecy and you want to be used in that gift, you must not only know the written word of God, but you must always remember that nothing you say will ever, ever, ever trump that written word of God. Nothing trumps it, period. And I, I just, I don't know, I got a couple minutes. Are, are you okay yet? Or do you want me to, you need to go? I'm just, I, I got to give you a couple stories, right? So, in reference to prophecy, there was a, we were during a pastoral change in South Dakota, and this, the interim pastor that we had brought in this person that he heard of. I was already a little leery of it all because we didn't have a pastor at the time. I was the youth pastor who was still staying on staff until a senior pastor came. And then when the senior pastor came, I was going to resign to him, which I did, and then see if he wanted to hire me back, which he did. And I worked for him for four years after that. But during the middle of all this, when we didn't have a pastor, our interim pastor invited this lady who was used in prophetic gifts. I was like, oh boy, here we go. This is not the time to bring in prophetic gifts in the middle of what's going on in our church, but it absolutely was, and I was wrong. I'll tell you what happened. It was very interesting. She was an older lady who had been a music teacher her whole life, and she went deaf. And when she went deaf, her husband explained that it's like she can only really hear what God's speaking to her about people since she's been deaf. She was a lady of prayer, and again, I, I had my red flags up. I was like, I don't know about all this. Could cause problems. She read people's mail like you can't believe. Not, not literally read their mail, okay. She read their mail, though. She knew, she didn't know anybody. She was traveling. They had this little tiny tape recorder. It was a cassette player for you kids. That's a little tape like this. It kind of had wheels in it and... She had a little cassette player, and she would record them, and then you'd get a tape of, of the, of the pro- prophecy. Well, it was interesting because I was with a guy, Alyssa's brother, named Brad. Brad Swenis, he's a great guy. He used to work out at the campground. You know him, Matt. And uh, um, anyway, uh, I was with him, and we were off checking cattle. And we were, I think that's the same story, isn't it? We were, we were off checking cattle, and he fell in the creek, and he was full of manure, and you got to know Brad. He's just a farmer at heart, right? So he's... Oh, I, I, you know, so we went to the nursing home after that and prayed for people. He goes, I'm not going to let the devil stop me from praying in the nursing home. So he comes walking to the nursing home full of cattle manure. And he's like, hey, is there anybody I can pray for? And the nurses are looking at him like, what is going on here? Who is this guy? And so we went in and we prayed for people. And then we went to church afterwards. And we went to church and, and here's this prophet, right? This lady praying for people. We get there late. And we go up front because, you know, he's still got manure all over his pants. And he's standing there and he's like, I mean, he kind of brushed it off and cleaned it up a little bit, and it dried by then. Ew, yeah. We went up. She starts praying for him. She goes, that's funny. I just got the same message for you as I did for that lady over there, who was Brad's wife, who was there before we got there. And the message was, pack your bags. God's moving you. He's promoting you, something of that nature, and ministry is your future. And that's what took them out of South Dakota, and they actually went to a, a, like a boys' ranch and became the directors of that. Then they came to South Dakota, where our camp directors in South, or I'm sorry, Iowa came to Iowa, where our camp directors for several years, which is very interesting. But that message, that was amazing. I mean, she didn't know they were married. And then she gets on other people in the church, like some of those apostolic gifting people. And and you know, it's funny because. A lot of times people with apostolic gifts, 
they have, they'll, they'll end up having to pay people to be their pallbearers because they just don't make a lot of friends, right? It's <laughs> the way it is. So I remember laying hand, her, her just praying with somebody, and she goes, wow, controversy surrounds you. And everybody in the church busted out laughing because they knew. She just read people's mail left and right to the point where you, there was no way that that couldn't be God. Now, to take a gift like that and kick it to the curb because we don't, eh, we don't know about that, that would be wrong. To open the door wide to anybody to say anything they wanted prophetically no matter what, that would be wrong. But a gift like that, used in humility, you, you, op, uh, the door open for them to be used in the church, guess what happens? It brings tremendous unity. Even the person who they laughed at because controversy surrounds you, that laughter healed hurts. I mean, if someone's causing controversy and everybody knows it and everybody kind of shuns them, yeah, that's that guy, that's that dude. And then someone calls him out in a loving way and he laughs and the whole church laughs, all of a sudden there's a love fest. I mean, I should say that carefully. <laughs> There's a lot of love that starts getting shared, though, right? And it's like, wow, the body was just unified because of that gift. This is what I'm saying, church. These gifts are given, obviously, to, to, to um, equip and build up the church, but for unity's purpose. That's what we just read. In fact, I want to end with that, and I'm done. I could tell more stories, but you'll have to take me out to lunch or something if you want to hear more. I'm always trying to get a free lunch up here, aren't I? Yeah, like I need it. Um, I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 13 through 16 again. I've already read it this morning. But just again, why are these gifts given? They'll continue to be given until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So next week, we're gonna continue with evangelists, pastors, and teachers not positions, but giftings, right? And how that fits in with the church. Is this helpful at all to you? I know it's a little more teaching than, than preachy, but, but let me just say this. If you're someone who has apostolic gifts or you're someone who, who you feel like you, you have prophetic gifts, I do not want to stifle those in this body. It doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. I don't want to stifle. So let's talk about it. Make an appointment with me. If you're feeling like, yeah, this is an area I feel like God's really starting to use me in, and I'm sitting there in worship every Sunday, and I get messages for the church every Sunday, come talk to us about that. That's the body coming together for the purpose of unity. And God's done, given those gifts to build up the church, to equip the church with everything she needs to do the work of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today that you have given these gifts to the church. And Lord, they're important. 
And Lord, sometimes they're confusing, they're hard to understand, it's hard to find the balance sometimes, and we know, God, the flesh gets in there, but Lord, today we consider them as real gifts from you. We consider them as important for the equipping and the building up of the saints until we come to full maturity in our faith. And God, I pray that you would begin to speak to people in this room right now. If, if you've planted and, and, and put the ingredients in when you created them, God, uh, prophetic gifts or, or apostolic gifts, God, I pray you'd make that clear to them. God's calling someone right now and telling them. <laughs> Lord, we thank you so much for those gifts. And Lord, as we step into all that you have for us as individuals and as a body. Lord, I pray you guide us, you keep us balanced, you keep us between the ditches, so to speak, and God, that we could function like your word says we should function. We give you our hearts today, we give you our lives, and Lord, we absolutely adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.